Evening, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Green and Gold Rugby Podcast. I think we're up to episode 218, uh, powering along. That seems a high number, but we'll, we'll stick with it for the time being. Once again, brought to you by Sporpool. Um, hard and fast for us tonight, just like we expect the Wallabies to play on Saturday night. Joining us are the usual campaigners. No rotating of the team this week. Uh, we've got Matt and Hugh. How are you, Matt? Mate, I'm, I'm very good. I think our podcast numbers are a bit like ARU participation numbers. Um, they're, they're generous. <laughs> say? They're rounded up. <laughs> That's good. Um, and Hugh joining us as well. Uh, how are you going, mate? Good, good. I think our podcast download numbers are a bit like a Lions tour, though. We just just slightly inflated by a lot of um, trolls from the Northern Hemisphere coming to, to coming to gloat and listen and and hear us. Um, yeah, eat the proverbial for for forty minutes. So uh, they're in for another treat tonight, I think. <laughs> Hey, Hugh, Matt has been working hard on this relationship. We're strategically aligned with the egg chasers. We've been doing all these joint podcasts in the hope of driving our numbers back, potentially opening us up to a new market. And the first thing out of your mouth is you're calling them trolls. <laughs> well, yeah, well, that's, where's your customer awareness? That's a bit harsh because, because I mean, the British listeners are in for a treat tonight because for the first 40 minutes, we're discussing the Force's Titanic victory, the Mauritius Tens. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, what a win. We're opening Australian up. Australian rugby on a high. Yeah, no longer, no longer, the, <laughs> no longer the East Coast um, Boys Club. We're kind of opening it up to both coasts. Yeah. We're the home for all rugby news, all, all rugby news in Australia and Mauritius. That's always been our thing. We all, you know, Australia and Mauritius. It's the new our two markets. The new news. Yeah. <laughs> right. All right, guys. We are get stuck into it uh, tonight. Aussies are down 2-0. Uh, I don't think we anticipated it, but we've got a test on Saturday night. The teams have been named. But I guess the big question is, and, and this somewhat comes back to the team, I've got to start with Hugh on this one, is uh, after all the verbals from Chica this week, there's copped a lot of criticism, particularly on the forum, are we going to stick with the same game plan we saw uh, in, I guess, most notably in that second test where we had almost 75% of the position, possession and pretty similar territory? Um, but uh, couldn't break the, break the line. Do you think we'll just stick with the same and hope it all clicks on Saturday night? Yeah, definitely. Look, I'd be really. Michael Checker has played the same way for the last three years, and he's not going to change because of a couple of close losses to to a really good side. I I, I expect to see that similar game plan of forwards running in pods. Uh, I just think we might look to add a little touch of of. Um, you know, this and that around the fringes, and that's Matt, you know, bringing in Matt Tamua um, as a second ball player to probably hopefully open up those outside channels a bit more and, and get the ball to Kurandrani Falau in space. But also, I think um, hopefully they're looking maybe to, to be a bit smarter about punching around the fringes and looking to change it up with a bit of pick and drive, especially in the English 22, and hope to suck a few more guys into the ruck before we go wide because I, that was probably the error that we've made. In the second test in particular, so I hope we see you know some slight tinkering. But in terms of the bulk game plan, I don't think a huge amount has to change. Just a few little smarter moves, that pick and drive, and, and taking taking the three points when it's on offer. I think those are the two main fixes. And 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 who knows? You know, I hope the English fall off a few tackles and 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 we're away. Hopefully, that's the plan. Yeah, it's interesting. We might talk about some of those particular team changes soon. Um, 
Matt, I guess part, the heart of this question is how much did we get wrong last weekend? We don't want to be whingers, but there are a few elements in the game that had they gone our way, the result and, and thus the discussion would have been a hell of a lot different. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, mate. So I think you're alluding to the fact that information has come to hand. Um, that basically, um, Alain Roland, um, he took over uh, World Rugby refing. And what he started doing is that each week he will review contentious calls um, in the previous week internationals and he'll send those out actually worldwide to, to refs everywhere. So this is actually a pretty widely distributed thing. Um, and he basically goes through each of those kind of big decisions that Joubert made, which I think... Even on the with the Egg Chasers podcast we did on Sunday night, I think even those guys were sort of going, yeah, they were a bit iffy. Um, and, I mean, he basically goes through those one at a time and unpicks them. So, first of all, he says that, you know, Moore's action in the first half was no worse than the original offence by England, and so the penalty shouldn't have been reversed. Um, he also says that uh, Foley running back for that kick was no um, you know, material obstruction and so that it shouldn't have been a penalty. And then right on half-time, he says that um, although that advantage was long, we hadn't gained any advantage, and then it should have come back for a penalty. Um, and it's kind of you know worth noting there that Joubert had warned England just five minutes earlier about penalties on their goal line, so you would have had to have think that there might have been a yellow card there. Um, and if you put all those things together then... So look, you know, um, I think most of us have steered away from whinging, steered away from the whole, the ref took this away. Because I think, even with me saying this now, I think we all know that we just didn't have the game plan to, or we didn't have the execution, I should say, to make it all work. But, I mean, you know, with those things, um, if we'd had, like, another six points from those penalties and if we had gone into half halftime, uh, you know, uh, pretty much even or even three ahead and then had uh, one of their guys in the bin, then I think that might have been a very different game. So, I don't know. You know, read what you will into that. But if, if, let me just put it this way: if you were somebody sitting watching that game and just thinking, "What the hell is Joubert up to?" Then Alain Roland, head of World Refs, was thinking the same thing. Excellent justification. But I guess, um, <laughs> I guess that helps tell the story for this weekend that perhaps we don't have to change too much, and it's just some of those finer points that may uh, get us across the line. Perhaps I hope, Matt. Yeah, I mean, look, I watched the match. Um, I was at a 40th birthday party on Saturday night, so I didn't get to watch it live. And I'm, in, in, in retrospect, I'm, I'm glad, and I think... Was that your son's? Your son? <laughs> you cheeky bastard. Um, yeah, yeah, my son's 40th. And, um, yeah, so... And I think the... Um, the host was fairly happy he didn't have it. Didn't actually have it on a screen because it obviously would have soured the party. But, um, <laughs> so yeah, I didn't catch it until the next day, and there was so much vitriol and hand wringing, not least from Hugh's article uh, on Saturday night, uh, that I thought, oh my god, this is going to be an absolute shocker, and I thought I was in for like the worst of the Robbie Deansian um, extravaganza, and um, I didn't think it was that as at all. Actually, I, I, I didn't think it was nearly that bad. I thought a lot of things kind of didn't go our way. Um, you know, actually, I thought our attack pretty much worked. I mean, the number of times we got to that goal line, um, I do agree. England just, I mean, I walked away just going, wow, England just defended really, really well. Um, I think that, you know, they're fit. I think they've got a good defense. And they've quite clearly, they've got two good 
tactical kickers that we just don't have, and and then a, a you know and then a, a someone who can place kick from pretty much the fifty meter line, and um, you know you put those things together, they they were just really really good. I I don't think we were as bad as we we told ourselves um, that we were. Um, even though I think we were quite clearly missing that second playmaker, not necessarily to help us go wide faster, but maybe even to, you know, explore other channels. And so I, yeah, I expect we might see something quite different, um, you know, this weekend. Look, I don't think we were bad, and I, I think I probably was, a, you know, a bit blinded by rage in my, in, in my article, and and you know, might have might have um, overstated it a little bit, but ultimately. You know, that's what was more frustrating is that we weren't bad. We should have won. We had all the ball. It wasn't like we got beaten by 30 and you just go, well, wasn't that shit? You know, I think it was the frustration. But And look, a lot of people will drop everyone, suck everyone. I'm certainly not one of those people. And I think we had the the building blocks of of a really good team. Here's the question, though. Just back to the ref stuff. It's something that that a friend posed to me, and I think it's a really good question. So going on... Um, the last two games in the World Cup final. It's now the third straight test that we have had all the 50-50 calls go against us, basically. That the ref's been against us um, and we've, we've sort of been at the wrong end of it. Now, with three in a row, is this starting to become a pattern? And if so, do you think we're responsible for it? Because there comes a point where it's, ba- it's bad luck and it's bad luck and it's bad luck until you get, sit back and go, whoa, actually, like, this is happening every time. Mm-hmm. And is it something that is actually closer to home? And we talked about Stephen Moore in our Egg Chasers podcast, Matt. But, I mean, the more I think about it, the more, you know, I'm not sure where the leader is in this team. And Because uh, I think there is a real f- way that, that, that we talk to refs and we play the game that, that is getting on, getting on the wrong side. Oh, I think so completely. I think the only way you can explain some of those ridiculous, I mean, bizarre decisions that Joubert made. Absolutely bizarre decisions. You know, overturning, you know, um, you know, touch judge, you know, uh, suggestions mm. and all sorts of stuff that you just don't expect to happen. It's just crazy stuff. I think we got right up his nose, and it seems to be a style of captaincy that kind of goes back to George Gregan, um, where you know we had mm. we we used to have quite statesmanlike captains, right? So you think of you know David Wilson. Um, you know th- those sorts of guys, Nick Far Jones, guys that kind of occupied Eels, Far Jones, Andrew Slack, yep, yeah, all those guys that kind of occupied that same sort of space that Richie McCaw did for so many years for the All Blacks, where the ref was like um, as much in awe of the guy as he was, you know, uh, respectful, and, and it, even if things weren't going their way, it was never a uh, confrontational thing. Whereas it seemed to me that it seemed to start with George Gregan that we got into this role of basically you know complaining at the ref or fighting with you know arguing with the ref and i just don't know who thinks that's going to be a winning situation um you know you've got a guy whose heart rate is up you're quite clearly becoming his you know adversary in a, in a running battle throughout 80 minutes then you've also got like a nick phipps and what sounds like the rest of the pack i mean the, the number of times that joubert during the match said can you all stop yelling at me um, and it's just quite clear, you know, the Aussies not only were trying to rattle the, uh, you know, the opposition, but they were, I don't know if they were trying to, but they were quite clearly rattling or getting up Joubert's nose. And I'm totally with you, Hugh, is that I don't think this is an accident. I just think we've, you know, we've managed to get ourselves into a situation where, you know, we're on referee shit lists. I mean, Reg, do you think it looks any different? 
Yeah, no, I, I'm pretty in agreement with you. What I thought was interesting, I'll go back to that first test, and I remember distinctly at one stage um, the ref saying to Steve Moore, similar to what Hubert said on the weekend, I just want to hear one voice, one voice. Um, he's obviously getting inundated. But then only minutes later, Pocock was having chat to him. But the ref, and I can't remember who it was, the Frenchie, I think it was, right. could not have been more appeasing to Pocock. Right, that's it. Could not have been more appeasing to Pocock. It was like, like you say, he had respect for him, wasn't all of them like he was with the last and really explained things and was really had the time. He could have quite feasibly on the back of what he just said to Moore told him to back off. But... Mm. I get the feeling because it's Pocock, he's one of the few in that team has that sort of aura about him that referees may respect. Yeah, he's, he's that statesman. He's, the, he's our statesman if we want to go back to that. There's no one else because, look, Moore, I actually mm. think Moore actually doesn't so much carry on the legacy of Gregan as he carries on the legacy of Elsom and Horwell, where it's this gruff sort of follow-me style leader that isn't a particularly good speaker or, you know, he's not... Stephen Moore's not an after-dinner speaker or in the John Eels mould or he doesn't have that natural charm. He has that inspirational quality of, you know, at the end of the day, I'm going to be the one at the bottom of the most rucks and I'm going to be the one that is covered in the most blood and bruises kind of thing, which is great. Like, don't, I'm not trying to slag Stephen Moore. It, but there comes a time where I think I'm not sure that's working for us. Mm. And maybe we do have to look at a Pocock because Hooper... Hooper's very young still and I I don't think he's quite there yet and there's nothing in the backs and James Slipper's good but he's never really struck me as a you know super inspirational kind of figure either so I I don't know for a team that's really experienced in terms of tests there isn't a huge lot of huge amount of leadership potential there from the outside anyway that I can see well I mean I guess you've got to divide what's leadership and what's ref management right so my sense is that Steve Moore is very much a leadership figure within the group and yeah I think for example you know when they had that whole Dublin affair and everything else and you know Steve Moore was you know clearly someone who's like you know this is just stuff you don't do um, but he wasn't getting supported by the management team who were letting who, who, who weren't following him and then disciplining those people that Moore was sort of saying, look, this can't go on. So I think from that perspective, he's very much a leader. But that, I mean, you know, that doesn't necessarily translate into game ref management. And, you know, whereas I think you guys are spot on, you know, his personality is one that's um, very strong. You know, when you're in the heat of battle, you don't. There's no winning with a ref. It's like you know, managing anyone who works in a service industry. With when you've got clients, you know, there's very, very few situations where you know you're going to cower a client for very long. You know, you're going to. They can respect you, but you know, you can't. Um, you know, you can't serve it up to them and expect that you're going to get the, the the rub of the green because even though they might put up with it for a little while, in the long term, they're going to screw you. And I think we're yeah I think we're now in that situation where we're just consistently getting screwed. Yeah, and I think the other relevant question is how long we can hold on to a captain that's only going to play uh, an hour of the game, if that, and, and that impacts both Moore and probably James Slipper or whoever might be the front row. But uh, you know, it's not a massive consideration, but I think it still should remain a consideration. Mm. All right, look, we're going to move on. That's last week. We've done plenty of that. We want to look at this week, and there has been some changes to the start, uh, to the side, and and uh, Hughes already alluded to it, but let's get into it. I want to know, is Matt Tamua, is this second playmaker going to uh, work in our favour? Is it going to be enough to trigger um, our attacking options, Hugh? Is that your belief? 
Yep, it is. Uh, just the way that Checker plays, like in and of itself, the second playmaker, it's not a game breaker, game breaking option that's gonna that's gonna smash it open. But just the way we play, and it just means that that um, you know, in terms of attacking two long passes from the ruck, which is something that we like to do. Essentially, it allows us to play a side to side game a lot more effectively because we've just got better passes, better distributors, and one one more game manager in there who can help with things and. What we were relying on with Foley was a guy like Falau or a guy like Hale Petty, who really, you know, good players, good skills. Karevi's the same, but they're not great distributors. Um, and also what we were doing was relying on forwards, actually, you know, running these lines and taking the ball and, and either offloading to Foley in a sort of second-man play to kind of free up that space. And I think it's great to get that pressure off Foley and off those guys that aren't really distributors and... Uh, and put it into more, and I expect to see his combination with Kurandrani be really good, and um, him freeing up hopefully Falau to run just a little bit wider um, and, and open up that space because um, you know we had a lot of times on Saturday where we had those blokes out wide, even in the English 22 where we had a guy unmarked on the wing, but we just couldn't get the ball there, you know, and and. Yeah, you know, I'm not saying Tamu is going to mean we hit that guy every time, but we had a situation with Karevi and one with Kurandrani, I think, where they're not really pass-first players, either of them. And we probably needed one of those guys to to, to, to use that space out wide, and we just didn't get that well, in the end. So, look, I'm, I'm really hopeful. But, Matt, are you going to take a different view? No, no I, I, I like agree, but for a different reason. I think it, it's, it, you know, it can be about hitting that wide man, but actually... I think it's more about, you know, like, um, I think Graham Forbes did some great analysis of that try against the Poms in the World Cup, that Foley and Bill, where they did that little interplay around the ruck. And yep. the whole point that he made about that was, it was a, um, it was the first man, it was Foley, creating the space by manoeuvring the guy in front of him. Um, and I think it's, is it Danny Kerr that he just, he just draws into him so that which creates the space from Launchbury who you know can't get there fast enough for Bill to go through and um and 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 popped it onto that guy and I think it's that sort of situation that we miss because that's the sort of way that in the past you know whether it was you know Gitto used to do that um Foley can do that if he's mid in the line where you're you know you are that pass away from the ruck where you you've you've lined up that prop or that second row who's never going to be able to close that gap fast enough and you're just going to manipulate the guy outside of him and you're going to put somebody and it, it might be a Beal, but it might be you know like a um, like a, a Karevi or a Kurandrani and they've just got that soft shoulder and they can't be stopped from two meters out and I think for me that was the difference on Saturday night was that we we weren't able to create those opportunities. And what we were just doing, we would be like Wales. You know, when Wales was trying to hammer our line with, this, with uh, you know, is it Jamie Roberts? And he just kept running mm. straight into us. And we just said, yeah, we'll eat that all night. Because they didn't have that guy who was going to create the space. Um, I thought, in my mind, that's, that's what we missed. It wasn't, I mean, yes, we could have got the ball wider. But actually, it was the guy who was going to either see or make that space. And, um, and that just would have got us that one or two tries that we needed. Yeah, it's also almost that game management, isn't it? That second option there to assist Foley. As you said, Hugh, Karevi in particular and Kurandrani are both pretty instinctive players. They'll just, you know, like you say, the first option is pretty much to run unless it's a set move they know they have to pass. Whereas Tamua, uh, who's played a lot of rugby at fly half and, and even a bit of fullback and obviously playing in the centres, can manage a game. He's got that vision um, and uh, whether it be a kicking game 
or uh, all that running game, and obviously a strong defensive game. I know he was uh, he was a superstar uh, schoolboy player, and um, Lee Grant, who's uh, many of the forum readers will know as a great eye for talent, said back then he was the he was a dark Michael Liner. Um, he just his game control, game management skills came to the forefront, and we've seen glimpses of that. Unfortunately, he's going to head off overseas at the end of the year, but it's exactly what we need on uh, Saturday night to help follow there. Mm, I agree. All right, the third burning question we've got, and it's another positional one, another change to the team, is we finally see Will Skelton come into the team. And, Matt, um, I guess this uh, one of the big issues this Wallaby team have had is you put aside that playmaker, but we've got to get going forward. And, and you would hope that Skelton's going to be a big factor in that? Yeah, I think so. Look, I mean... Everyone's up in arms, I think. Wasn't Skelton one of those guys we said that would be the most contentious pick? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, and we kind of, we bet that, and he will be. No matter how he plays on Saturday, we, we will have people howling about how he's useless and, and whatever else. And look, there's elements to those comments that I understand. I don't think he has, you know, got back to the influence that he had in like the 2014 season. Um, and when he burst onto the scene with those tries against France and stuff like that at a test level. Now, whether that's because people have worked him out, I tend to think it's just, it seems to me that he's he's just not staying on his feet and getting that go forward like he used to have. He seems to be much happier to either, either go to ground or stop and, and distribute. Where, you know, and I think, I don't know, that's not as threatening. He really needs to bend and, and kind of get through that line. And when he does do that, well, we, we've seen how destructive it can be. Um, I think it was the Tars against the Chiefs that night. He had a really, really good game. Um, you know, playing off Cliffy. And anyway, but one way or another, the reason why he's come in is Checkers just looked at it and said, none of our forwards are making any metres. Um, and against this big English pack with really solid defence, if we don't do that, we're going to be in trouble. And I think that's the one, I think that's why he's kind of a bolt out of the blue. I mean, he's been with the squad the whole time, so it's not like he's come from nowhere. Um, I realise he hasn't even been on the bench, but I mean, I think Checkers just going, geez, guys, we've got to do something. We've got to shake this up. Hugh, his attacking skills are, are pretty useful, and you can to those. But I, I guess the other aspect of his play uh, is he's, he's pretty uh, disruptive in that maul as well. It's one of his real skills: his big, long arms, his strength. And while England didn't get much ball last weekend, they did rely on that rolling maul a bit. You, you, you'd imagine Skelton's a bit of a, an antidote to that as well. Yeah, he's he's great at that. Although so is Rory Arnold, to be honest. And, and I yeah. think Rory's a bit a bit unlucky not not to get the start and. I just wonder if there's an element of Michael Checker kind of rotating through our lock options a bit just to kind of almost like an open audition process. Mm. And you look back since the start of his tenure last, well, his start of his home season last year, he did exactly the same thing. We had you know, a lot of different combinations of locks before we kind of settled on Douglas and Simmons. Um, and I think he's doing the same because, look, to be honest, most of our locks are of similar ability. I mean, and that's been borne out so far this 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 season, but Skelton offers something completely different. He's a bit of an X factor player, and maybe that's something we need. You know that offloading game that he brings. He's got really soft hands, probably the best hands of any Australian second rower, and he has that obviously that that ball running ability in, in contact as well. Um, yeah, you know weakens the line out a bit. Um, he's a bit of a trade off player, and I think one of the reasons why people don't like him it's similar to the to the Michael Hooper and Rob Horns of the world. That he doesn't really fall into a into a pigeonhole. You know, we like to put players in boxes in terms of what they are. If they're a lock, they're two meters, and they're a line out jumper. Or if they're a back rower, they're a pilferer. Or they're 
you know, if they're a winger, they've got pace and they, and they go for the corner flag. And when people step out of that, those sort of moles, we, we, there tends to be a bit of opposition. And Skelton's the same. You know, he isn't a traditional second row. He plays a completely different game to that. He's sort of like a hybrid eight hooker um, kind of thing that rolls around the field and just belt, you know, smacks into people. But the one thing I want to see from Skelton is good discipline. If he can keep that discipline, um, eliminate the stupid penalties that he's a bit prone for, um, then he'll be a real asset, I think. But if he starts getting involved in niggle, and, and I hope he doesn't, like last week, you know, yeah. where we went yeah. for that stuff too much, he can be a culprit in that. So I hope he's kind of got someone to keep his keep his, keep his nose clean. And if he can do that, then I think he'll be really good. So tell you what, give us the Queensland view. Oh, mate, all I was going to say, I'll give, I'm, no, I, I, was, uh, I thought Skelton should have been picked last test because I thought it was the same that metres. And I, I think I actually picked Skelton. I thought Skelton should have been on the bench at least for that first test. No, I, I, I can understand the frustrations with Skelton, but I, I agree with this selection. And like I said, I think I would have liked to have seen it last week. What I will say is if we thought the English people were uh, pack or English team were um, focusing on Foley uh, in defence last week, Let's wait to see how they focus in on Rob Simmons and these lineouts because there are no other options um, pretty much in that lineout. So I know Simmons is going to get 90% of that ball apart from the odd, you know, quickly throw it to Skelton at the front or every now and again lift McMahon at the back. But Simmons is going to be the uh, the main man in those lineouts. So Atolji will be all over him. That's true. Um, what I did want to say is, Hugh, I don't know if you're a fan of the two Ronnies, but I think it was Ronnie Corbett passed right away not too long ago, and they replayed many clips. There's this fantastic clip of uh, the two Ronnies doing Mastermind when um, Ronnie Corbett would uh, uh, would answer the next question before it was asked, sort of thing. And it was, you know, very clever comedy. Yeah, I'm saying, I'm saying it's a great, it's a great sketch. Yeah, but you've managed to do that pretty much all tonight, mate. Every question I ask, you're already answering <laughs> the next question, mate. Because my next question was about selection and Michael Chika's selection. So he has tinkered with this side again. You know, he, the locks he's just rotated through. Um, uh, the bench, we've brought on new players there. You know, you get Luke Morahan comes in for one test and he's on the bench. He plays a couple of minutes and now he's gone. Scott CO was dropped after the first test completely, as was Rob Simmons. They're now back in. Simo's starting. CO's on the bench. Does Chico have a plan there or is he just making this up as he goes along, Matt? Um, the latter. Uh, so... I mean, actually, the, the more that I've talked to people, and um, I think it's probably come through more in this series than any other. Um, you know, I don't know if things were different in the World Cup. Maybe he took it more seriously. I'm not sure what it was. But the more people I talk to, I mean, I think we said on this podcast, everyone expected into that first test, well, everyone was wondering what the hell was going to happen because Reese Hodge had played 12 in the first team all week. And I think it was well documented in the press how when Karevi got announced at 12, he was as surprised as anyone. Um, and I, I, I still find that pretty amazing that, you know, mm. your, your 12 doesn't know that he's going to be the guy running out on a uh, on a Thursday. Was it was it Thursday afternoon when they got announced? Um, and you, all you've got left is a captain yep. run. Yep. You know, I find that pretty mind-blowing. And But in talking to people, um, including like, you know, a bunch of journos and guys who spend a lot of time with, with the team, they're like, yep, that's not unusual. And, and, and their belief is that actually Checker doesn't know. So he's kind of like, you know, he's waiting for the Marbo. He's waiting for the vibe to come in um, at the last minute to go, yep, I reckon, <laughs> I, reckon, I reckon this is the way to go. So I don't know, you know, now that's probably got some positives to it, which is that everyone thinks there's still a chance. Um, but I just think, uh, I don't know, I, you look at the roundup, the 
the swinging door on the on the selections here. Um, and on the one hand, I, I'm not sure I like this idea, which is that it's all very much it's so open like this. But then I've got to say, for where we are now with this dead rubber of a match, um, which you know, look, we want to win it, so it's not a complete hiding. But look, the, the series is gone, um, and I think Czech is very much thinking to the future and, and, and thinking, well, I need to know what these other guys can put in. And I've got a bunch of guys who are a little bit untested. The, 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 the match, the, the game plan hasn't been working. I need to know who can give me more for that. And I think that's what he's looking to do. Um, and I'm not sure I can criticise that for where he is now. I wish we weren't in this situation, but I think that's where he is, and I'm not sure that I completely disagree with it. Yeah, I agree with Matt to a point, but it, it, it's not like he's making seven, eight changes a game. I mean, let's face it, the spine of the side's been the same the whole series. You know, okay, so he swapped at the front row after the first test, which I think was pretty logical. The second row has been the exception where he's just been cycling blokes through. But the, um, you know, the back row is more or less the same with the, except the change to the injury enforced change to Pocock. And the back line's pretty much the same. He's just brought in Tamu and now Tamu is fit. So I can certainly understand the logic of it all. It's not like he's plucking blokes out of Randwick second grade here. Like, it's all fairly logical. The bench is a little bit. You know, the bench is a little bit different, but you know, I, I think he's he's kept it fairly sensible. Though I do agree with what you're saying. He, he does, he doesn't, he's not a pick and stick sort of guy. But um, at the same time, he hasn't been too radical, I don't think. Yeah, although you've got to say yeah. that you know, yeah. going from a Karevi, you know, well, going to a Karevi from mm. a two playmaker situation. I mean, that's like, and then sticking with it, that's massive in itself. I mean, I know it's only one position, but it changes the whole way the team plays, right? Um, and then I think, you know, also, you know, because you can argue there's only three changes in this team, and yet, to me, there's so much different. Um, I don't know. Mm. Reg, what do you reckon? Yeah, I agree, and I know what you're saying. It's just those curious ones, and, and the two guys I feel for are Samu Karevi and Rory Arnold, who I think has been two of our best in the last test in a team that was fairly disappointing, but also in the first test. I thought they were both um, pretty impressive. Now... You know, like I said, I think um, I think it's fair we needed to try Skelton. Um, and I guess if you pick Skelton, perhaps you need Simmons there the, as the line-out general. Um, it's hard on Arnold, though. And, and then the other guy we see come into the picture is Adam Coleman on the bench. And, and wow, fantastic for Adam and I. The, the bench isn't decided yet, and who knows which way he'll go with Dean Mum and Wycliffe Parley both there as well. I, I guess it's probably between one of, them, one of those three, or maybe he'll just go to two two backs, but um, there's another bit of tall timber on the bench as well. So, look, there's a bit of depth there. I, it's just hard for those young guys who are coming in to, um, to understand where they are, but I, you can only assume that Chica's giving them the full brief and, and yeah, they're keeping the jersey on us. So uh, let's see how yeah, it goes look, on Saturday night. Arnold's unlucky. I, I do wonder if there's an element of Chekhov saying to him, you've played two of the really, you know, hardest, most physical tests that we've seen. Um have a breather, you know, for his first two tests. And there might be an element of that. Um, yep. And let's give someone else a run. I think Karevi's, Karevi's just unlucky. He's just a victim of the stylistic change that we want to play. I don't think there's... Yeah. You can read a huge amount into that. It's just that Matt Tamu is now fit again, and, and that's and that's just the way it goes. But it's nice to know we've got him if we need him. Yeah. I mean, so before you get into the last question there, Reg, actually, um, I just wanted to say a couple of things. Uh, first of all is obviously thanks to our sponsor, Sporpal. Um, if you guys haven't checked out yep. Spopple.com, if you run a rugby team and you're looking for your next player, go there and, and have a look. 
if you um, are a player and you're thinking about moving anywhere, whether you're pro or semi-pro or even someone who's just finished up uh, work, um, then, uh, finished up school, then, then go and have a look. The second thing I wanted to say was um, thanks, everybody, for your comments that um, and your reviews that you've been putting on iTunes. They do really help. Um, there's a there's a couple of here which I thought were, were quite fun. Um, uh, from Mr. Uh, oh, sorry, by Tom, I should say. Um, great podcast has come a long way in the last 12 months. Um, has become a much tighter, uh, much tighter, entertaining podcast. There you go, guys. We've improved. Um, and then uh, slowly becoming the Matt Rowley show. Um, but that's to be expected on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, keep it up. So um, thanks, Tom. Um, and I think there's obviously what you're saying is you want more Matt Rowley. Um, that's what I'm taking out of that. When has it ever not been a Matt Rowley show? <laughs> Was there a time where that wasn't the case? <laughs> Slowly becoming, mate. Anyway, um, uh, love it from uh, Jason McGeep. Um, and he's a, a great listen guy. Love the new format. It's really livened things up. Uh, keep it up. Um, so that's really that's great. This one from uh, Juan Barn, an enjoyable rugby rant. Uh, that traverses the humour of Wendy Harmer and 702 and the thuggishness of Triple M's The Grill Team. All that's missing is a five-part background piece on the SJRU Good News Story of the Year, the under-13A Northern Barbarians. So there you go. Maybe, Reg, you could do like a um, podcast special. Yeah, well, he's nailed that. That's exactly what we're after, Harmer um, Triple M, isn't it? That's, a, that's exactly what you pitched at us. Exactly. That's what, that's what we aim for um, every week. Well, that's the dream, isn't it? We all aim. Every podcast aims to be that. That's that classic Harmer Grill Team mix. You know, it's all going for. And then a final one here from <laughs> D-Randy um, saying, not bad, uh, funnier than those Pommy Blokes on the Egg Chasers podcast. So thanks, mate. That's, uh, that's good to hear. Oh. But he, he might not have written that. But it he is. Might, but he might have. Anyway, so yeah, thanks. Keep the reviews coming in. <laughs> And give us more stars than you think you should, than we deserve. That'd be great. Good stuff. Hey, just speaking of the English, we just should mention their team, and it's it's out. Um, and I'm asking you, Matt, as our as our closest thing to it. Upon the only change is obviously Haskell's out. Is this Tamana Harrison? I don't know if that's the right pronunciation of first name. Any insight on him? Anything at all? Absolutely zero. I think though, um, isn't he the guy? That yeah, so I, that doesn't play any English rugby at all, isn't he the key? Ladies player? and gentlemen, welcome to the Matt Rowley Show. <laughs> <We're> <laughs> Zero idea. <laughs> uh, that's what some of the other. That's that are. cutting insight. Yeah, yes. yeah. No, uh, but isn't he that guy? He's, uh, so here's the story. I got some background on him. Yeah, yeah. He hasn't played much, mate. So he's uh, he's a Kiwi born, yeah. and. He was, uh, when Dylan Hartley and the Poms were in New Zealand for the World Cup in 2011, and I didn't realise Hartley was a Kiwi-born, Hartley went back to his old school, saw this dude there playing in the, the first, he's a uh, number eight, I think, at the time, told the told the um, the head honchos at his club, I think Northampton, to sign him up. He's got an English dad, brought him over. He's had, his, I think, his first year this year. He's won a few you know, rookies of the year for his club this year, and uh, Jones has picked him for this too. He played his test debut in that sort of one-off English Wales test before the series. Um, and he's a real mongrel by all accounts. So, uh, all accounts. So something to look forward to. I'm sure he'll be really popular with the Aussie fans. Oh, good one. Someone to boo. Exactly. Just another. Right. So what's the fifth? All right. Our last burning question. Yeah, last burning question. We've got to... It related to the series, but Steve Hansen, when well, he's all happening nice and pretty for him over in uh, New Zealand, 
is uh, he's thrashing Wales, still has time to poke his nose into what's happening over here and, and really give it to a bit of Michael Cheeker on the ground. Is, is, Hans is just saying there's an opportunity to keep the mind games, keep the, you know, keep Michael honest on, on what's going on, knows that he's, uh, he's watching this Australian struggle from afar. What do you reckon, Matt? Yeah, I mean, look, you know, we've all talked about Eddie as being the master mind games and then, you know, Hanson's decided, hey, I want a bit of that action and it's just coming over the top, isn't he? Um, so, you know, he made all those comments about how he was surprised how Checker just let Eddie get on with it and, and let Eddie bully him. And then he, what he threw in something like, well, maybe that's because that's what the pecking order was at, at Randwick. So, I mean, he absolutely pressed all the buttons. <laughs> um, and then you saw, and then Czech came back and said something about, um, you know, going good on your kicking man while he's down. I, I'm not sure it was a great comeback, to be honest. It basically said, yeah, well, you know, get on you. I mean, look. I'm down. Yeah, I am down. <laughs> I think Hansen's like, yeah, you are. So what are you going to do about it? So look, you know, in terms of if that's your style, which it is Hansen, I mean, I, there's not much that I've ever seen about Hansen that recommends him to me as a nice guy. Um, that, you know, yeah, he's, he's right yeah. in there, right? Yeah, he seems like a, a bit of a dick, doesn't he, Steve Hansen? Let's yeah. face it. I mean, yeah. he's the all-back coach, so we're supposed to hate him, so it's okay. But he makes well, it I easy. think Checker probably... Checker played it pretty well. I mean, the last people you want to be picking a fight with now, surely the All Blacks. I mean, let's, you know, let's just maybe... I, I think Checker's, Checker handled it pretty well. But, you know, what a, what a dick move. I mean, I know, look, he said today he was asked a question and he responded it and responded to it. And, yeah, I'm sure you, I'm sure you were, mate. But, geez, I mean, yeah, you're right, mate. Nothing... nothing Steve Hansen was pretty magnanimous after the World Cup final about Australia, so he, you know, certainly much more than Richie McCall was. So I can't hold it too much against him, but, man, like, yeah, timing wasn't great on his part. Well, or I, maybe it was really good, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think there's no doubt that's what his aim was. I mean, I, I just thought Checker, I thought his reply could have been more like something like, well, I think this says more about Steve than it does about me. Um, you know, it just could have, you know, basically, yeah. the guy's a dickhead. Yeah, well, all right, I mean, so all uh, that insight, guys. No, you're right, mate. <laughs> Sorry, mate, so all that insight. I want to know We've got a bit of a delay in. here. It's like, it's, it's a bit of a delay <laughs> here, Reg. And I think, are you from, are you coming in from Baghdad or somewhere, are you? <laughs> mate, I, I, I hate to say it, but I've jumped on the plane to England just to, uh, I've jumped shit, mate. I thought these, pod, these <laughs> egg chaser podcasts are going so well, I thought of... Get some of their sweet cash. <laughs> I'll have to get one of those razors of theirs, the, the shavers. Yeah, the corner thing. <laughs> All right, lads, I need I need tips for the weekend. Hugh, tell us, can Aussie Australia win uh, and, and how we're going to do it? Yeah, look, I'll stick by what I said on the Egg Chasers podcast. I think we'll win, and I think we might win by a little bit, by sort of 10 to 11 points. I just think going off the fact that we've got more to play for um, – the team changes look pretty good to me. Another week, we're a bit more settled, and hopefully, hopefully they'll come out really fired up. It's it's a it's a big test for them, and I, I you know it's a dead rubber in one sense, but I think it's it's a really big um, chance for them in front of a big crowd in Sydney um, to come out and just reassure us all before the the sort of the what you would call the main course of our international season begins, um, and to give some hope that we might you know challenge the All Blacks in the Springboks because. Um, the three nil, geez, it's it's unthinkable, isn't it? I can't, I can't think about it. So, yeah, we we, bloody, we better win, or else uh, I don't know. 
Mm. I, 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 right, I, Matt. I want to believe what you're saying here. That's what I want to believe, but I'm just like, hmm, I, I, I think after, you know, the, the game plan A, which is the only game plan we've got, we did it, we did it in the first test, didn't work. We did more of it and we did it faster in the second test, still didn't work. I really don't know what we think is going to happen in this third test. Um, Nigel Owen, I don't think we're going to have any better rubber the green from him. Um, and yeah, I, I think we've basically got a development, developmental 15 out there. Um, on Saturday that we're hoping is going to change things around. I really hope it proves me wrong. I think the Poms are going to be like... How, how developmental? Explain that. What do, what do you mean by developmental? Because it's not like there's any rookies there. Uh, well, so if I look at the locks... Uh, here we got Simmons and Simmons is our most experienced lock. Skelton's, you know, been around. Yeah, but... Certainly more experienced than Rory Arnold. Um, hang on, let me go through here. Get, get, getting aside in front of me. Look, you know, I, is it not developmental that it's? We just don't know our fifteen. We still don't know our best fifteen, do we? Yeah, I mean, I think it's like a, it's a step away from, you know, we've 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 played two tests. We've said, oh, okay, um, Karevi at twelve, you know, that'll do it. We've got Arnold, um, you know, as the, as the, the other locking option. Then we've got Nup. Stuff that. Let's go back to. Um, so you know, developmental might not be the right word, but I mean. Com- you know, it's a departure, should we say, from what we've obviously been trying to play for the last four weeks. Um, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, this will come good. I mean, look, I hope I'm proved wrong and I hope we can go back to suddenly it's the World Cup and we're playing like we did back then. That'd be lovely. But I, then I want to know what was the, what was it that we did for the last four weeks? Um, so anyway, like, like I say, and, I, and, and for the Poms, nothing's changed. Who have they missed? They've lost Haskell. Yes, he was playing well, but I mean, t- to be honest, it was a real team effort from them. I think I think in the box seat. I don't understand what the the bookies are looking at. Um, I, I, yeah. Anyway, I think we're up against it. I hope we do it, um, but I really do think we're up against it. And I think it, all oh. the, all the noises coming out from the Poms is that they're up for it. That they haven't clocked off yet. Yeah, but of course they're going to say that. I, I I agree. Like I don't think we're that far from what we were playing at the World Cup. Um, I don't think it was like we were playing super football at the World Cup and we're shit now. I think just we're we're two or th- you know we're we're one or two gears lower than where we were, and you've got to hope another week of training. And you know it's still a third game for the year. Remember, they're still finding their stride. Mm. So I've got to hope that that's what the difference is, mate. It's time. Except you know, the first it's, test it's was eleven just... point different, and the second test was what was it? 40? Yeah, but you know, judging by point difference, that's a that's a pretty silly way to look at it, to be honest. Like. It's not. It's not about a chart like that. It's. But when you get done twenty three seven, like it's not like it's a close. You know that's not a close finish, mate. Yeah, and but in, in I think the scoreline was misleading. Point. I think the scoreline was misleading in both games because we had, you know, late tries. You know, really late tries that essentially iced it. But you know, I, I, I think the scorelines have been misleading in both games. I think they've been really razor tight margin games, and you know, one or two calls we discussed either way probably could have been the difference. Mm. But you know. We'll see this weekend. It might be the referendum on that, to be honest. We, we, we might know for sure one way or another. It'll certainly cast the whole series in a different light, regardless of what happens. Well, Reg, you, you cast the difference here, mate. What's it going to be? I hate to say it. I'm with you, mate. I, I don't think this is a dead rubber. I think the English will be up for it, and I think they'll be more up for it. Uh, um, I'm not convinced. While I like the principle of Skelton and Tamua, as I've explained, Tamua, this is his first game of rugby for 
I don't know how long, you know, six, eight weeks. And, and Skelton, the concept of it's great, but the reality is his form has been indifferent and hopefully makes a difference. Hopefully they both, both make a difference, but I think England will enter this test as uh, well and truly uh, favourites. And uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it, it shocks me to think that we may lose this one uh, three zip. Yeah. There you go, Hugh. I hope you're crowing come next week. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you, you know, if I get an invite back to the Matt Rowley show, uh, I think I'll, um, I'll gratefully accept. After this performance, I'll say. Sure. Yeah, go on, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, lads, I'm going to wrap up now. I do want to acknowledge that the, uh, the Bill Corp Women's Nationals uh, are on down in Sydney at the moment at uh, Saint Nations. Is that Riverview, Matt? Yep. Yep, the wrong side. Yep. But anyway, yep. Yep, okay. So they're um, over there for the next three days. So obviously building up to there's a, a, a two test series versus New Zealand later this year and then the World Cup is on next year in Ireland in August. So uh, those who are looking for some rugby, obviously the test match is on a city this weekend. A good chance to go and see the best of Australia's uh, women's players out there at uh, Riverview. But uh, Matt and Hugh, thanks for your time. Hopefully uh, we're cheering for, uh, we're you know celebrating a, a comeback Aussie victory next week, huh? Yeah, well, look, I can just tell you this, though, that I was actually talking to the guy who runs the SCG Trust out there just during the week, and he was saying that there is not one single seat left in the stadium on Saturday. So even for, like, the Lions games and stuff like that there's and other international tests there, there's always been, like, the odd one seat in between a three and a four and stuff like that, and that you can almost never sell them. There is not one seat left. It's going to be a record um, on Saturday. Well, that's brilliant because last weekend's game was a a ground record uh, down there in Melbourne as well. So fantastic news, Sydney. Uh, Enjoy. Get out there and cheer. Uh, The rest of Australia, let's get behind these Wallabies and see how they go. Uh, To everyone else... Thanks for listening in to us, and we'll chat to you next week. Thanks, guys. Cheers, guys. Yeah, right there, right there.